Today we're going to continue our series, The Ministry of Jesus, and we're going to be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Um, we're going to be uh, studying and uh, looking at Jesus' encounter with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Um, so let's read that first portion of Scripture, okay? We're going to start. We're going to read John 3, 1 through 15. Uh, it'll be on the screen. I'll be reading here. And if you've got your Bible, feel free to turn and follow along. John 3, verses 1 through 15. It says, Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness so that the, the Son of Man might, must be lifted up, and that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Okay, first couple of verses were, were introduced to Nicodemus. We're told that he's a Pharisee, but not only that, Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. And that was like a highly influential and prestigious group of 70, 70 Pharisees, okay, uh, who served as the ruling Jewish council. So in today's language, Nicodemus was a big deal. Okay? He was a big deal. At, at, now, at this point, Jesus has already had some encounters with the Pharisees. Probably uh, the most recent one, from the way Scripture lays it out, was when he drove all the, you know, all the traitors out of the, the, the temple courts. And the Pharisees, who also made money off of that, right, uh, challenged him demanding, by what authority are you doing this? Okay. Yet, many of the people who were there at that time and witnessed all that Jesus was doing and saying, Scripture tells us, if you read that, that many of them believed he was the Messiah. And Scripture tells us that many of them believed in his name. Okay, so now here we are, a little time after that, and now one evening, it tells us, Nicodemus goes to see Jesus. 
Now, some scholars think that Nicodemus went at night, and they kind of make a big deal of that because they think that Nicodemus was, like, I don't know, ashamed or scared, you know, and kind of wanted to sneak in under cover of darkness to, to have this conversation with Jesus. And, and, and maybe that's possible. But here's the thing. Nicodemus was a powerful man. He was a member, he was not only a Pharisee, but he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And part of the Sanhedrin's responsibility was what they would call guarding the faith. Because there were other people who had shown up from time to time claiming to be someone important or someone, you know, sent from God, and they were lying. And, and so part of the, the Sanhedrin's job was try to ferret out what's true and, and what's not. So he was a powerful enough person, uh, and because he was part of the ruling council, Nicodemus really didn't need an excuse to go see Jesus. Uh, it, it, it really may have, because who's going to challenge him? I mean, he's, he was powerful enough that he could go if he wanted, okay? So while it may have been to try and be, you know, under, you know, on the down low or, you know, whatever, okay, I, it also may have just been that both of them had a busy day and this was the most convenient time for them to meet. Because, because part of what Nicodemus wanted to have was to be able to have the time to have an extended, uninterrupted conversation. I think that personally makes more sense. But that's just my opinion, okay? Now, here's the thing that's really interesting to me when you consider all that's gone on with Jesus so far and what we already know from other reading we've all done, okay? When Nicodemus uh, comes to Jesus, he, he speaks to him, and he first calls him rabbi. Now, that's a big deal because in doing so, Nicodemus was placing himself in the role of learner. He was, he was placing himself in the role of student, and, and he was acknowledging that Jesus was the more learned or knowledgeable one of the two of them. I mean, this is a big deal because what first thing this is doing is this is giving us an indication that Nicodemus has come with an open heart. He, he hasn't come prejudging or looking for reasons to not like what's going on. He's come with an open heart. And then Nicodemus said something else that I think is incredible. Nicodemus said in verse 2, he said, we know. Now, this is Nicodemus. He's just arrived, and, and, and he says, Rabbi, and then he goes, we know. Well, the we can only be talking about the Sanhedrin, where he's come from. He says, we know. You are from God because of the signs you are doing. But, look, however, you know, it was Nicodemus coming and his words, I mean, I think it's really neat because he addresses him as rabbi. He says, we know. But really what we know for sure is that means that Nicodemus knows that you must be from God. Because, because if you weren't from God, you could not be doing the things you're doing. Interesting thing than what follows. Jesus' response I mean, you might think, considering Jesus had had some, already some skirmishes with the Pharisees and, you know, dust-ups here and there, okay, you might think that Jesus would have responded by saying, hey, I'm glad you understand where I'm from, right? I mean, wouldn't you think? You know, he would think, hey, great, somebody gets it, okay? 
We're all, you're all good, Nicodemus. Instead, what Jesus says goes directly to the heart of the matter, not only for Nicodemus and, and other members of the Sanhedrin, but in fact for all of us as well. Okay? Jesus answers and he says, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. I mean, that doesn't exactly seem like an answer to what Nicodemus said, right? But it's actually what he needed to hear. Jesus is good as that. If you think it numbers of times, Jesus, people say things to Jesus. He responds not with like this, the, you, know, the, you know, the answer, but he tells them what they actually needed to hear. But he tells them, unless you're born again. So now I know this is a term that gets used in church a lot, but, but let's not just assume anything here for a minute, okay? So what does it mean to be born again? What does that mean to you? Anybody? What does it mean to be, when we say the term, born again? What, are, what, what does that mean? Spiritually reborn. Anything else? Yeah, I mean, first of all, being, being born again is something that's impossible by human standards, yeah. right? Yeah. We become a new person, forgiven of sins, and granted an intimate relationship with God. But what does it do to our spirit? It brings it alive. Amen. It, it breathes life into our dead flesh, and makes us alive in the spirit. Look, this is, I know this, when born, born again, that exact phrase seems to get used around churches, okay? But the, it's really not a, a, only a church concept. Think about it. Even businesses and football teams talk about being reborn or a rebirth when they get a new leader or a new coach. And they say, this new coach uh, is breathing new life into the organization, this new leader is breathing. And think about it. We're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about the breath of life. And even in the secular world, they talk about a new leader breathing new life into an organization or into a football team. The other thing that's kind of interesting about that, that verse where he said, you must be born again. When you look at that, the word again is not really the best translation of the Greek, okay? It really literally means from above, which to me makes so much more sense when I understand that verse. He's, he's saying you must be born from above, okay? But in other words, to belong to the heavenly kingdom, you need to be born into it just as belonging to the earthly kingdom, you had to be born into this, okay? But Nicodemus didn't yet have spiritual eyes, and his understanding was limited to what the flesh could understand. And so as a result, he asked, well, then how is it possible for an old man like me to reenter my mother's womb a second time and be born again? I mean, I know in a way it sounds silly to us, but he was serious. You know, he, he, he thought what Jesus is saying I, I hear it and like I understand the words, but it sounds like it's an impossibility because of his limited, uh, because he's not uh, filled with the spirit. He doesn't have spiritual eyes. So the other way, I mean, I kind of think the other way Nicodemus was thinking is he probably was really kind of asking, 
am I too old to change? You know, right? I mean, he's thinking about how my, how could I go back? I mean, I, think, I don't think Nicodemus really believed that what Jesus was saying is you're going to have to get back into your mother's womb and be born. You know, I mean, I, I don't think he really believed that, but he's saying this is what you're saying. And so there's like this, this paradox here, there's, right? It, it doesn't make sense to his limit. And so I really think what he was getting at, he's really saying, well, then are you telling me I'm too old to change and be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven? So I have a question for you. Let's assume that was it for a minute. Do people get too old to change? No. No. Why, why do some people quit changing? Because we all know some people who, like, why, why would that happen to someone? They don't want to. They're not willing to. They're stubborn. They're, yeah, crabby. They don't want to listen to anybody. They're rebellious. No, I mean, think about it, right? People who, who stop changing, usually it's either because they think they know everything already, right? They're stubborn. They, but, but would it also be fair if we move up a level to say they quit listening? They quit learning, yeah. right? They, they quit. They decide, you, don't have to. you know, I don't have to anymore. Okay, yeah. It, and so, but, so thankful none of us are too old to change, right? That doesn't apply to any of us. We're, no, we're all, we're, all still, we're all still growing, and that's good. So, so then Jesus then clarifies that flesh gives birth to flesh, Right? Meaning that everything we do here on earth until we become a follower of Jesus is done only in the power of the flesh. That's our just normal, that was our lives before we became followers of Jesus. Okay? But spirit gives birth to spirit. And this spiritual rebirth is what then introduces the cleansing and restoring and rebuilding power of God into our lives. Okay, the other thing, too, that I thought was really worth understanding when he, when he was talking to Nicodemus, in verse 7, he said, uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. The word you is used twice there. Okay, the first time he says you, it's in the singular. Okay. The second time he uses you, it's in the plural, as, as in you all. Okay, so let me, let me reread that sentence, but more, you know, appropriately translated for us, okay? Um, it, it really might be better understood. Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying that all of you need to be born again. Better yet, everyone needs to be born again. So then Nicodemus in verse 9, he's still struggling. And, and he says, but how can this be? I mean, hey, you know what's interesting here and I really love about Nicodemus? He's not rejecting anything. He's not saying that's crazy and I'm out of here. He's just, in fact, do you remember when Mary, when the angel came to Mary and, and said, you're going to give birth? She didn't say that's crazy. I don't, she just said, how can that be? How can that be is a, 
is, is not questioning God. It's just saying, I, I, I'm poor. I believe it. I, I just I don't know how that can be under my conditions and my circumstances, right? Mary said it because she was young, a young virgin. Nicodemus thinks he's too old to be like born again. You know, he, he doesn't get it, but he's not closed off to it. He just doesn't know how to think about it. Okay? And so he says, How can this be? And then, then the next several verses are Jesus' response. And once again, Jesus doesn't give him like a direct answer, okay? But, but he speaks to the deeper issue uh, of, of the, to the barrier in Nicodemus' spiritual rebirth. Uh, to, to, to more easily understand it, but I, I'm just going to read, a, there was a great paraphrase in everyday language in one of the translations. And so I'm just going to read you the, his response, though, in a real I think more day-to-day language, because what what the way uh, Jesus responds about how can this be, is he says, just think this is Jesus looking at Nicodemus, and he says, teachers Nicodemus speak from their experience, right? Think of your school teachers, right? Teachers speak from their experience, they instruct from their knowledge, and they describe things as they have seen them. Okay, makes sense so far? Okay, he says then, so why then do religious leaders, religious teachers like you, who are also accustomed to this process of speaking from your experience, of instructing from your knowledge, but also describing things as you have seen them, like the reality of what's going on around you, then why do... People, the religious people like you, why, when you're accustomed to using this process, will you not recognize the reality of the changed lives that you have seen and experienced among my disciples and followers? Does that make sense? You've seen it. You've seen people who are living changed lives. You have seen people who are not the same as they were. And, and your own methods say that part of what you do is you speak from your experience and you teach from what you know and you describe what you've seen. Nicodemus, you've seen all this. Now, you'll believe it about other things. Why won't you receive it here? Then Jesus completes his response to Nicodemus by, by really speaking in a way I think that Nicodemus could really understand and appreciate because what he does, he goes back into an Old Testament uh, passage. Okay? And, and so he, uh, Nicodemus uh, completes it by drawing a parallel uh, for, for Jesus, for his earthly ministry, to a situation that's described in Numbers 21. Uh, now, this is an account because Nicodemus was a teacher of the Torah, and Numbers is part of that. So, I mean, this is a passage Nicodemus probably knew by memory. If, if not, he just knew it very well. So let's read Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. This is a time where the Israelites were, you know, out in the wilderness, and it says that the Israelites travel from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way, and they spoke against God and against Moses. They grumbled a lot, right? They, and, they, and they said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. It's pretty strong. 
Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many of the Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned. We spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take these snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by the snake could look at it and they lived. Okay, now think about that. What, what happened in the wilderness, that physical symbol of a bronze snake lifted up on a pole became a cure for physical poison. Physical image for a physical poison of the snake and it would deliver the Israelites from physical death. Does that make sense? Physical snake needed a physical cure from physical poison to preserve and prevent physical death. So now, Nicodemus, because of the way he finishes that, what Jesus told Nicodemus is that he, Jesus, would be lifted up on a cross and that he would become our spiritual cure from the spiritual poison of sin in our lives and that the result of following Jesus would deliver us from spiritual death. So let's continue by reading the, the, the next portion of Scripture. That's John 3, 16 through 21. So that starts off with a verse most of you probably could all quote. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in this is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly, may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. <laughs> this section of scripture begins with really what's got to be the most well-known verse in the entire Bible, right? Uh, it clearly states that our eternal life does not come from anything we do. We don't earn it. It's a gift from God. Our salvation is a gift. When we believe in Jesus, the word of God, his son. Interestingly, though, the next verse, verse 17, is not quoted nearly so often. But what it says is critical. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. What do people who don't follow Jesus believe about God? They think, they think they're condemned? They think God doesn't like them. They think God hates them. You know anybody like that? They, they think God is mad at them. Right? God's angry at them. And that what God is looking for is just one good excuse to zap them. Right? I mean, do you know people like that? I do. You know? But that's not what God's word says. So how do we change that? How do we change that? By showing love. By showing love. By what else? What else can we do? Tell our story. Yes. What, what better way? Because maybe some of us felt like God was mad at us at some point in our past. Maybe some of us felt like we weren't good enough. Maybe some of us thought we had done some stuff that God could never forgive. Then why would he? Right? right? You know, maybe some of us have had, been through some things that we, we weren't. I mean, if when we share our story and we let people know, yeah, I, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I'm a follower. But, but man, I, you know, I had to come to understand that God's love for me was bigger than my, my, my stuff. Right? And that God actually loved me. And he still does love me. And he loves you right where you are, right? Yep. Here's, that's really the issue for Nicodemus in all of this, okay? It kind of gets down to this. Nicodemus, first of all, would have firmly believed that God loved Israel. There just wasn't a lot in Jewish theology that would cause him to believe that God loved Israel the world all right so for Nicodemus you what we really have to understand because we all come we read the Bible and we read it from our perspective we see it through our lens do you see what I mean we see it through the our life that we've lived okay you got to remember where Nicodemus was what he knew what he had experienced in life so far right and so for Nicodemus what Jesus was telling him, this was like new revelation. This was radical. This was radical. It demonstrated a new covenant breadth in the gospel of Jesus. Because what Jesus was telling him is, I have not just come to be the Messiah of Israel, but to be the Savior of all mankind. Of all mankind, everyone, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, rich, poor, people near and people far away. It, it, no exceptions, no limits. God, God did have a special love for Israel, and he still does. And he still does. But he also loves his entire creation. 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
And as you know, and you know, when you look up the Greek of that, you know, anyone, guess what it means? Anyone. And when you look up everyone, guess what it means in the Greek? Everyone. Yeah. I mean, these are words that are just clean. And so, and so Nicodemus is what he's hearing is this radical new thing that, yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the Son of God. And yes, but I am, and yes, I am the, the Israel's Messiah, but I'm also the Savior of the entire world. And that really must have just like made Nicodemus's brain want to explode, you know, because it's not that he was against it. He's just never heard it, right? He's just never heard it. So now the real question for Nicodemus to confront was this. Was his heart sufficiently open in that moment, one-on-one, face-to-face with Jesus, no one else watching, no one else evaluating, you know, no one for Nicodemus to have to answer to about whatever he said or did. Was, was his heart open not only to hear the truth, but also to receive this new revelation as truth and believe it? That's the same question that confronts you and me, confronts every one of us. Jesus is the light of the world, but the world, it says, throughout the ages has preferred darkness thinking that the darkness would conceal their sinful ways. But where the light of salvation shines, darkness has to flee, right? Nicodemus had a potentially life-changing decision to make, and that's the same for you and me. Question is, does he have a sufficiently open heart? Does he have an open heart? to let that in and to believe it. And that's the question you and I have too, right? Is do you have an open heart? Do I have an open heart? Do we have open hearts that are ready and willing to believe God's word and receive his best for us? So that's really our question today is, then how can I know, how can I have an open heart? Because obviously we want one. Well, the first thing is we need to recognize that Jesus is the son of God and that he's our, our Lord and Savior. First step in doing that, like Nicodemus had to do, was we need to humble ourselves before God. He did that. Nicodemus did that when he addressed Jesus as rabbi. Being willing to place, sometimes we need to be willing to be humble and place ourselves in the position of learner or student in being open to receive new, new revelation. Look, Nicodemus had plenty of religious training, right? I mean, he was not only a Pharisee, but he was a member of the Sanhedrin. But he obviously recognized that there was still something missing in his life, or he wouldn't have come. And that helped him to open his heart to the truth of who Jesus was. Next thing you got to do is, is do whatever it takes to come to Jesus. I mean, Nicodemus came at night. That's what it took. For whatever the reason, you know, he had to come at night. So we don't want to allow anything or anyone to distract us on our path to Jesus. You can read a lot of books about love, but until you open your heart and allow yourself to love and be loved, you don't really ever know what love is, do you? You may know all the books, but you don't know the experience. Same way, you can know a lot about Jesus. You can know a lot of facts about Jesus. But until you open your heart and choose to believe, 
you'll never actually know and your spiritual eyes will remain closed. Second thing we need to do. So we need to, first of all, recognize that Jesus is the Son of God and our Savior. Second thing is we need to have an honest conversation with Jesus. And that's where a lot of people fall off. They're afraid to have an honest conversation with Jesus. Why? Because they, they're still on this thing about God's mad at me. Hard to have an honest conversation with someone if you think they're mad at you and looking for a chance to zap you. Right? But we need to have an honest conversation with Jesus. And you know what Nicodemus did, didn't he? Nicodemus had to figure out what Jesus meant by this being born again. Rebirth in the spirit was like radically new to him as a concept. And not only uh, did he not know what Jesus meant, he didn't even know how to think about it. He could, it's not a, can I agree with it or not? I don't even know how to, I don't know how to think about it. Fortunately, Nicodemus had come to Jesus with an open heart. So when he was confronted with this new truth, he didn't walk away. And you know what else is important? Jesus didn't walk away either. When, when Nicodemus starts asking him these tough questions about he's struggling, Jesus doesn't say, you know what, I've spent enough time with you. If you don't get it by now. <laughs> no, really. Yeah. Aren't you thankful there's some times, look, have you and I, I've been foolish enough a few times to get mad at God about something. Anybody else want to be honest enough to agree with me on that? Yeah. Aren't you so glad that when you got mad at God, for, whether it was for five minutes or five years, that he didn't say, you know what, you've crossed the line, dude. I'm done with you. I know people who would have treated me that way if I had gotten mad at them. Do you see what I mean? I'm so thankful that when Nicodemus had an honest conversation with Jesus, that first of all, Nicodemus hung in there and he asked the, the real questions that he needed answers to. But what I think is doubly cool is that Jesus didn't get upset with him and say, I've spent enough time with you. You've had your allocation. I'm done. Nicodemus had an open heart. He was seeking. The only people Jesus ever kind of shut down were the ones who weren't actually seeking. They were there trying to cause trouble. Yeah. Right? right? Who were trying to trick him. Yeah. And he knew better than that. But, but as long as you're approaching Jesus with an open heart, he will never turn away from you. So you need to have that honest conversation. And just like Nicodemus, all of us, we need to ask Jesus all our questions. We need to tell him all our doubts and our fears. And that no matter, that's no matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus. There's stuff that can come up in your life, throughout life. It can be health. It can be finances. It can be relationships. It can be with your kids. It can be with whatever it is. There can be difficult moments when you need to ask Jesus, what is this supposed to mean to me? What am I supposed to do here? I don't even know. I don't like what I'm going through, but I need some help. Right? And, and aren't you glad to know that Jesus doesn't ever go, you know what, that's a bridge too far. If you haven't figured that out by now, because he's never done that to any of us, has he? No matter what we've come to him with, he's never done that. And he won't for any of you that are watching or anyone else that's here. Here's, here, here's the thing, and this is part of what Nicodemus had to grapple with. Philosophy and religion can be complicated, right? Yep. It can be complicated, yep. but the truth of the gospel is simple. It's simple. Okay, so have that honest conversation with Jesus. And finally, we need to choose to walk in the light. Those last verses talked about 
walk in the light. Jesus is the light of the world, but the earth, the world, the world, the, the non-Christian you know, world, they want to walk in the darkness, okay? We need to choose to reject the lies of the enemy. We need to reject living in the darkness of sin. We need to choose to be all in. You've heard us use that phrase before, all in. And, you know, part of, to me, the clean way to think about, slick way to think about all in is, is kind of like, you know, this stand here. I could say, I want to live right out here on the edge, but not fall off. You know, God, I know what your word says, right? But, you know, I want to do, I want to do some of it, but there's some things I still want to do my way. So, but I don't want to get so close to the edge that I fall off. Okay? That, that's not all in. Okay? All, all in is, Lord, I want to live right over here in the center of your love. I want to live right in the center of your word. I want to, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to see how far off to the edge I can live and get away with it. I want to see how close I can move right into the center of your plan for my life because that's where the joy and the peace and the happiness will come from. So we need to choose to walk in the light. We need to choose to believe the word of God, that the Bible is true, so much so that the Bible is so true that we can place our full weight on it. We can, we can rest in it, and it will hold us up, right? Yeah. You can trust it. So you can ask Jesus, the light of the world, to be your Lord and Savior, and then bring about that rebirth into your spirit. Okay, so let's get ready to close. So, look, life, life, can, life can be hard. Can we all agree to that? Yeah. There, there are parts of life that it can be hard. Yeah. Especially as we have lived longer because we've gone through more. Yeah. Right? We've gone through more. We've gone through a lot of us. We've, we've all. We've all gone through some hard things. Yeah. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can develop a hard heart a closed heart, whatever the cause, setbacks, loss, stuff somebody's done to you or said about you, you know, it's stuff that wasn't right, but it happened, yeah. okay, it wasn't true, but it happened, and, and now, and the difficulty is when you develop a hard heart or a closed heart, here's the biggest danger to that, is now the only thing you can hear is your own thoughts can only hear your own thoughts. Today, maybe you've realized that you don't have an open heart. That even if you once did. And what you want to do is you want to ask God to give you an open heart, a, a, a new heart, a heart that's healthy, a heart that can hear his voice and a heart that can hear what he tells you. A heart that's full of the word of God. So would you guys stand with me as we come to the end? If, if that's you and you want to ask God today, the, 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 the thing for you, you're the decision you're making, I'm asking you to make today, is if you've realized that you want God to give you 
take away that damaged heart, that hard heart, that closed heart, and give you a new pliable heart that's open to hear his voice. Just raise your hand. Amen. Lord, today you've seen the hands. God, you've seen the hands. And Lord, literally you know our hearts. So Father, today I want to thank you. Your presence is here. And I just pray that today, Lord, right now, everyone who raised their hands, God, I ask you in Jesus' name to touch their hearts. Lord, I pray that the harm, the evil that they've experienced, the wrongs, the lies, the abuse, all those things, God, I'm asking you to wash them away with your precious blood. I ask you to cover those things and that they would return no more. Lord, I ask you now to heal each person's heart. Give them a soft heart, Lord, a pliable heart, a, a new heart, Lord, a heart of flesh. Your word talks about exchanging a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And I pray, Lord, that you would take away, remove that heart of stone, that scarred, damaged, dark, those hard places, and replace it, Lord, with soft, flesh that can hear you, Lord. Fill our hearts with your word and your spirit. Because, Lord, we love you and we want to live our lives in accordance with your word. In Jesus' name. And now, may the God of hope, praise God for the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.